Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Nathan Kohlerman. I had the pleasure of meeting Nathan in November and absolutely loved his story and what he has done with his life to help other humans optimize their lives. If you would want to reach out to Nathan yourself, you can find him on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, all at Nathan Kohlerman or his website, newintention.com. And now let's tune in to Nathan's story. Nathan, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm great for you. Thank you so much for having me. You are quite welcome. I'm super excited. We talked a while back about your story. You have quite an extensive story. And it's one that I wanted to share with my listeners because it's one of overcoming. Um, We all go through things in life and we choose how to respond to it, whether we want to continue pushing through or whether we want to give up. Um, You definitely chose a pushing through direction. And so that's what I really wanted to dive in today is just sharing your story and, and what you've done to, to become this person you are today. Um, so let's kind of just, I don't know where you want to start. I know, I know it goes back quite a ways, but I just kind of want to get, kind of dive into first, I guess, who are you and, and what do you do? Yeah. So I'm Nathan Fullerman and I'm the founder of New Intention Health and Wellness I am the director of education for Earn Your Booze, a North Scottsdale Lululemon ambassador. And essentially, I am a human optimization coach through mind, body, and soul, whether it be our mindset, our movement, or the mantra that our mindfulness practices. Very cool. Human optimization. I love that term because it's, I always go highly functional. Human optimization goes right along with that. Um, So I absolutely love that. Let's kind of go back almost to your, I guess, teenage years, to your military years and all that. Cause I know that's where a lot of kind of your injuries, a lot of your things kind of started happening. So let's kind of go back to that area first and then we'll kind of, kind of go through the, through the lifeline. So in my teenage years, I've always, I was always an athlete. I uh, was in martial arts since I was five years old, went to about 16. And once I got into high school, started playing football, started wrestling on top of martial arts. And I had a really hard time integrating into the community, integrating into school, integrating and being a team player, um, mostly because my parents got a divorce going right into high school. So I just had a lot of anger, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. I blame myself for that. The majority of, well, my, my teenage years, really. So going through the sports and, and really struggling to find a sense of belonging in a community and, and a family, especially it brought out a lot of anger. I ended up getting kicked out of schools. I went to four different high schools. Um, <laughs> and I don't even have a junior year on my record really. So I did four years of high school and three years graduated from an alternative school. Um, you know, kind of rewinding from that graduation to about 16 years old, 15 years old. I'm sorry. I got jumped into, you know, a quote unquote crew, right? So it's essentially just a very small scale version of a gang. So being introduced into gang culture and then being introduced into drug culture was probably one of the more interesting positions I've ever been in my life because I didn't know anything about it. All I knew is that I was angry and they wanted me to fight people and I wanted to fight people. So I said, okay, so (laughs) that's what I did. And I did a lot of that, 
and I look back at these things and I could have a lot of regrets. I could have a lot of shame. I could have a lot of things that really eat me myself up inside. But at that point, like who I am now isn't who I was then. So I'm not going to beat myself up, but I did do those things and I do regret doing those things. And I'm very sorry to all those people who I did those things too, for sure. But once I got into drugs, started around, you know, 15, doing marijuana, doing cocaine, about 16, started getting more involved in ecstasy and ecstasy went into other dr drugs, going into ketamine, going into different pills, going into LSD until around the back end of my 16 years old time frame, I ended up getting addicted to heroin. And I can honestly say now, I don't remember a lot of those times in my life. I, I was so high and doped up and strung out that there were times where I'd just fall asleep and wake up somewhere else. There's times that I would be in the car and we'd already be at our destination. And that's, that was my life. And I used it to numb the pain from my childhood and from the guilt and the shame of everything I was doing, but really just masking the pain of me being me because I didn't love me. I didn't enjoy being me. I didn't find anything special in who I was. And there got to a point, and I don't know what triggered it, but something came over me one day to just reach out to my sister, to ask her for someone or something to where I could be directed to a methadone clinic or a suboxone clinic because I didn't want to be who I was anymore. And I believe it was December, sometime around Christmas. I walk out of my room and my mom and sister are sitting there on the couch crying. And I'm just like, you know, what's wrong? And they sit me down and my mom says to me, if you don't stop what you're doing, you're going to wind up in jail or in prison. We know that you're on drugs and we want you to change. And just seeing her crying and seeing, because my mom was always there for me as a kid. She was always my safe place. She was always my comfort. And my sister is the closest person in my life. Even to this day, we're still connected. We can feel each other from miles and miles away. We know when one is feeling the other. So the week after that, I saw army recruiters standing at the front door of my school. And we were a school of about 30, 30 to 40 graduating class, just a bunch of misfits, drug addicts, people getting kicked out of every single school. It was Accelerated Learning Center. We used to nickname it Asshole's Last Chance because it, it really was. People who got kicked out of that school probably went to jail. They either died or they never really did anything or they got their GED. And there's a lot of them who are doing things with their life now. Because I am still friends, more reconnected over time and, and they're doing great things but going back to that it it really just came to a point of me stepping up and stepping to the plate and saying I'm, I'm ready for change so i joined the military that's how i got sober and it was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life so going into the military i got demoted in rank seven weeks in for disrespecting a senior drill sergeant <laughs> So you have this dude that's running the streets for a few years, come to the military, and it's my first real experience of structure and discipline since my father, because he was a former Marine. But I always resisted the way he disciplined. So what did I do? I resisted it in basic training, got demoted, got in trouble. And that kind of just set the tone right there for how I thought the military was going to go. And I have a lot of self-limiting beliefs, a lot of doubts. But it was when I went to Korea, I... On my 19th birthday, ended up getting into a fight for the first time in the military since a couple of years, really. Well, at least until I left. And I saw two guys trying to drag a girl out of a bar. So what did I do? I acted on it. And 
I used excessive force. Let's just say that. Um, it was not a good scene. It was not a good time. I was really, really under the influence of alcohol, which at 19, I was not supposed to be at the time. And I woke up to banging on my door at 6.30 in the morning. Sergeant Major wants to see me. Oh, you just put two NCOs in the hospital, non-commissioned officers in the hospital, which as a private, a very serious offense. Like people can normally get court-martialed, go to military prison for that. Um, luckily that didn't happen to me, but they did give me a field grade article 15. They gave me 45 days of extra duty. They gave me, I forgot how long it was, either three or six months of post restriction. Like I couldn't leave base. And it was that moment when I got in trouble where they said, you, you have some options of what you can do. You're going to do this no matter what. You're going to do your extra duty. You're going to serve your punishment. We're going to take your pay and you're going to be miserable. But you can go to church, you can go to the gym, and you can go to the chow hall. And I wasn't really religious at the time. I walked away from religion in high school after my parents split. So what did I do? I found the gym and I found food. And that's how I found fitness, which is where I'm at now, you know, eight years later. And... It was through that that I learned how to really cope with things. It was through the gym that I actually started feeling good about myself because I never knew what feeling good felt like. And just through that experience, it was, it was, it was really, really powerful because I never knew that a world existed. I didn't know like how to really like take care of myself. I didn't know that, you know, what food I ate actually affected my body and that my food influenced my emotions or my energy and it would dictate how I like show up the next day. So I found fitness. I started getting really heavy into it, really heavy into it, really heavy into it. And fast forward to when my daughter was born, that just completely changed and blew me open because I was actually in during that time from Korea until my daughter was born. I had set the goal that I wanted to go into special forces. I loved being active so much and I just didn't want to do the job I was doing. And I wanted to do something greater. I've always seen that I could do something greater as a purpose. And when my daughter was born, I looked down and I, I, I looked at her and I held her for the first time. And I said, no, like I, I can't risk that. And since that day, my entire view of, of life has completely shifted. It, it wasn't about me anymore. It was, it was about her and my, and now my other child, my son, and, and they keep me going. I just like to tell that because my daughter was probably the one thing in my life that really showed me that there's more to this world than just you. And you can't keep putting yourself first every single day, all the time, even though I do believe that people do need to put themselves first but they also need to understand that they shouldn't put themselves first to the point where they are destructively harming everyone around them. So it really showed me that everything I do will influence her. So it may really made me for the first time, consider other people, other feelings, other thoughts, emotions, and everything else. So I ended up deploying when she was six months old, they deployed me on September 11, 2013. What an amazing day to deploy me, right? <laughs> absolutely the worst day possible um and on my deployment i ended up meeting an airman um, who was a professional bodybuilder and he said you know you have a great frame for bodybuilding and i think you can do it so he literally taught me everything i knew about bodybuilding and from that day forward i wanted to be a bodybuilder right and notice the trend here it went from 
I want to be an athlete to, oh, I want to be, I want to be this, you know, crew member. Oh, I want to be this drug dealer or this drug user. Oh, I want to be the soldier. Oh, no, no, no. I want to be the super soldier. Oh, no, no, no. I want to be in fitness. Oh, no, no, no. I want to be a bodybuilder, right? So it's like I've always had this like conflict identity reoccurring over and over and over and over and over because I didn't know who I was, but I was just in this constant process of searching ever since I was a kid, just like, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Always trying to expand and trying to ascend into this higher being in which I know I am now. But through the bodybuilding, it, it continued from 2014 all the way up until my discharge from the military in about March 2016. And the reason why I stopped there is because I was medically discharged for bilateral exertional compartment syndrome, which is, as you know, myofascial disorder that you normally see in acute, I mean, acute case in car accidents where the whole leg will blow up and they have to do a fasciotomy, cut, slice the side of the leg open, drain all the blood because the tissue wasn't expanding, blood toxins are being trapped inside the blood and it was just extremely painful to the point where I couldn't run, I couldn't like do anything in my job. So they gave me two choices. They said you can either get a surgery at 24 years old or 23, 24 years old or you can take a medical discharge. And I, I refused. I didn't want to go under the knife because I knew that there was something greater because no matter how much therapy that the VA was putting me through, it just, it just wasn't helping, you know? And, and, and very, and then like the VA's medical system for as anybody knows is not super great. Like they only can do so much. They have so many people flowing in and out. They only have so much time and, and and they're regulated by so many different boards and regulations and everything else. Because not only do they have the civilian side, they have the military side. So I was just frustrated with the process. So I just said, you know what, just, just get me out. I'll figure it out. I'll do whatever I need to do. I'm already bodybuilding. I'll go pursue a bodybuilding career. I'll be a personal trainer. So before I got out, I got my certification. I started training because after my divorce, I needed more money. And that was the only way I could make extra income and, and still pay my bills and still do what I wanted to do. So I got medically discharged. I'm now hundred percent disabled veteran. And for a lot of other things, I had like 31 different issues or disabilities that they, that, that they labeled me with. And I own those things. Like I really did carry those labels and, and diagnoses with me for years and years and years. And I decided when I got out, I was like, you know what? I want to, I want to, I want to heal myself. Like I, I just want to do what I want to do. As long as I'm not running, I'm cool. So bodybuilding is perfect for me. So I got out, started personal training, went to a corporate gym and having the drug dealing background that I did killed it in sales. Right? <laughs> it. I never really had to work for clients. I kind of just showed up looking the way I do. And I, and I talked to people and I've always been fascinated with like, understanding why people move the way they do or why they feel the way they do or why they're in pain. Cause I never knew I was in pain until someone told me I had something, but it's like, as a personal trainer, how could I do that? So I met this guy, James Woods, who I was actually training with um, as a team member. And he introduced me to corrective exercise and I was fascinated because I had something wrong with my ankle and he did something. He stretched it. He did like some type of PNF or something like that. And it just felt better. And I was like, dude, like that's all I had to do this whole time. And I, 
and I could have just done it myself. He's like, yeah. And I was like, boom. So I dove in on my corrective exercise specialist. I started assessing people because they brought me on the sales team. So every single person, every new member that I saw assessment, 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 assessment. My first year of training, I probably assessed like 200, 250 bodies. And I got really good at seeing what happens when what happens and, and what happens when what movement is produced and being able to like take the squat solution table that NASM gives you, you know what I'm saying? And being like, oh, it's this and this and this and this. And it, it was like playing with a human jigsaw puzzle. And I was just fascinated and I was so passionate about it. And I always found it so fascinating that if I did something and made it better, but it got to a certain point where it stopped getting better. It kind of just seemed like there was a bandaid over it. And I was like, okay, well, now this person's having an issue with this. So things are now shifting through the body. And that kind of like gave me a deeper understanding of like, oh wow, there's more to the human body. There really is. And I always had that, that sense of knowing, but it wasn't until March of 2017, fast forward, I'm at Lifetime or, you know, well, there it is, Lifetime for a year. And I leaned on a granite counter one day and it snapped off and it tore my hand completely open. And I ended up tearing four flexor tendons. I tore my radial or severed my radial artery and my medium nerve. So I uh, still don't have feeling in these two fingers here and I still can't make a full fist. Um, but it was really detrimental and I didn't know what I was going to do anymore because I was a bodybuilder. I was a trainer. I was right-handed. So I was saying like, what is my going to do? Like, I don't know how I'm going to like afford like child support. I don't know how I'm going to afford to pay my own bills. I don't know how I'm going to like support anything in my life. And I actually just put up the other uh, post the other day where during my rehab process, I was learning to brush my teeth, with my left hand and I dropped it and I just started bawling. I broke down so hard. And that was the last time I actually thought about killing myself. And it was then in that moment that I knew that I needed help and that I knew that outside physically I was healthy, but inside mentally, spiritually, emotionally, I, I, I was miserable. I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy with who I was. I wasn't happy with my circumstance, my conditions. I made up all these stories for so long that I would, all I was doing was masking things for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And that's when I found transformational training. And that's when I, things just started coming into my life. DNS started coming into my life. And I started learning about neuromuscular rehabilitation and looking at movement patterns and looking at different ways to correct it and understanding how the brain works and how it communicates to the body and how the body responds. And I go down the rabbit hole and it's fine. And I've found so many different tools now, whether it be FRC or kin stretch, animal flow, especially that's what I'm known for now because it allowed me for the first time because physical therapy got me here, which is not their fault. It's just the fact that I couldn't continue any further. I'm sure she could have done way more. She's an amazing physical therapist, amazing physical therapist. I'm so grateful for Megan. And it was animal flow that actually taught me how to start loading and strengthening my hand again. It's all ground-based movement. And I fell in love with it because for the first time since my hand injury or since 
any, any time really. Like I really just felt good about myself. I felt good with the way my body was feeling and I wanted to pursue it more. And that's what brought me exactly where I am today. What do you think it was about the animal flow that really reset everything for you, both physically and mentally? Yeah, I was hoping you were asking that. So through the practice, physically, it just made me feel good. Like I naturally, coming from a mixed martial artist background, um, with American Kempo, Jiu-Jitsu, being a football player, a wrestler in high school, I've always been just more comfortable on the ground. Like of all those fights that I've been into, every single one of them landed on, went to the ground because I knew that's where I was happy. That's where I was comfortable. So when I was on the ground, it just felt so familiar and so at home. And when I put headphones in and I would just have my music, it was the first time I actually experienced a form of meditation in which I could find peace and tranquility and just block out. It was the only thing that turned my brain off and, and took myself out of my brain and into my body. But now, once I started advancing in my practice, I started developing my own principles and things on how I view emotion and spirituality and, and the way the mind works and how it helps me think, how it makes me feel. And then I, I, I came up with your tempo reflects your tenacity. I noticed any time I was angry or upset or frustrated, I would move very, very aggressively. I'd be very vicious. I would have all this intensity going, 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 but I'd get burnt out. And anytime I realized I was a little bit more emotional, anytime I figured out, found out that I was a little bit more feminine, where my emotions would overtake my rational brain or my aggressive monkey brain, I found that I'd go very slow. And I found a lot of power with going slow. I had, I had, I had so much control over my body. And then I, it, it occurred to me one day that every time that I move slower, I don't only gain better control of my body, I gain control over my emotions, my mind better as well. So it became this therapeutic practice for how I thought and felt on, on an everyday basis. And it was something that I could use every single day by just applying one principle. As long as I knew the foundation and as long as I knew the rules, I could bend and break them as I wish to create my own style, to be more creative in my own ways, to let that feminine energy come out of being creative and being intuitive and really feeling into my body and having that direct me where I wanted to go and where I wanted to flow. And once I noticed that, I, I, I just, I still am just in love with it. And I teach all my students that, you know, your tempo does reflect your tenacity. If you want to, if you want to growl, growl, if you want to be intense, be intense, but be very aware of how you're feeling and why you want to do it that way. I love that you brought that aspect in this conversation because it's something I've really been working on this year, especially the past like six months of just slowing down in life. Like, why am I rushing through the grocery store? Like, why can't I just take my time? I have nowhere else to be. And, and just realizing as I slow down with my life and my speech and how much better I interact with people and listen and remember and communicate. And it's just pretty phenomenal, like how much you sense when you truly slow down. Oh, 100%. And I mean, like, on, on that note, just to kind of segue into that, it's like we are constantly thinking. We're constantly in our heads about everything. I mean, as entrepreneurs, me and you both know that 
oh, well, if I do this, will this work? 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 But how often do we actually just practice the art of surrender? How often do we turn off our information and turn to our intuition? Mm -hmm. So we're so in our masculine with our systems and our processes and our understanding, our rationalization. But how often do we really just step back and have that feminine energy to surrender to, to, to what's going to happen as it is? And really being able to just feel into our bodies for what may feel right. Even, it doesn't have to be perfect, but does it feel right? Does it feel good? Am I able to receive? You know, these, are, these are things that we can apply to all aspects. And, this is, and you said it beautifully about, you know, I've noticed how it, it comes up when I interact with other people. You know, because I found that I was starting to rationalize other people's behavior. I found that I was rationalizing my behavior. I was finding that, that I'd get very aggressive with other people. I mm -hmm. find that I'd try to get control of other people, you know, because it's like, no, if it's not this way, it's not right. Because that's what the ego says. It's I'm right, you're wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. But ever since I started practicing this and really feeling into that, it's like, no, there, there is no right. Like there is not. It's just a win-win. This is just, this is just an interaction. This is just a connection. And you have 100% entitlement to your beliefs. I have 100% entitlement to my beliefs. Now, can we come together and collaborate rather than compete? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm curious, kind of going back to the labels that were put on you with all these diagnoses, because I know so many people just attach themselves to these labels, to these diagnoses. You did for a while. You admitted that but you also, you know, broke past that. So I guess what did you find was helpful for you? What did you do in order to kind of get past those labels and just realize like, I'm me, I'm not these. I remember uh, my, my, my friend and a, and a very close mentor of mine who I see as a mentor, um, Seth Madison, he is a public speaker. He does a lot of large, very corporate events and we were doing a seminar with him last year. And you know, this question has always come up my entire life, but he asked me and he asked the group, who are you? Who are you? And immediately my mind wanted to say, oh, I'm a veteran, I'm bodybuilding this, 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 that third. Oh, I have a generalized anxiety disorder with panic attack disorder. I have obstructive sleep apnea. I have bilateral emotional compartment syndrome. I have intermittent explosive disorder, you know, all these different things. But in reality, I kind of stepped back and I said, what the, what, what? Like, that doesn't even answer the question. And then he, he gave the cue. Imagine your tenure from now self walked in the door. What would they say to you? Who would they say who you are? And just having that perspective and knowing, okay, that's who I am. It's not the person who I was. It's the person who I'm going to be. And who am I right now in this present moment? get me as close as I can to the future higher self. Very cool. I like that. I want to go to something. You didn't really mention it on here, but I saw a post you put up recently about it. And I know it affects a lot of people. Your relationship with food due to all your bodybuilding. Yeah. I, I'd like you to talk about that a little bit and how you broke past that. Yeah, man. I mean, I mean, anybody who, who knows the bodybuilding lifestyle Right. Chicken, rice, broccoli, six meals a day, eggs in the morning, no carbs at night, nine ounces of flank steak, two cups of spinach, one tablespoon of olive oil. Right. And do you do that every single day for 12 to 16 weeks? 
And every single week you get a cheat meal. Every single Wednesday, I also got a package of Pop-Tarts. So, so it was always this, oh, you've, you've done good, here's a reward. Here, you've done this, here's a reward. But when I got those rewards, I found it almost impossible to hold back. Like, I was completely miserable. Like, when I look at my food, I would just get so annoyed that I couldn't use the sauces I wanted to use or the, the, the seasoning that I really liked. I had to find these low sodium seasonings, which, you know, quite frankly, doesn't matter because you probably don't have enough sodium in your diet anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Minor and, detail. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, you know, restricting the body of so many things, but it was like restricting life of so many things. Like I couldn't go out and hang out with friends. I lost so many friendships. I couldn't even have a beer. Like I love beer. I love whiskey. I do. I'm a human being. I don't abuse it, <laughs> but I do love those things. I love to have those things in my life as things that enhance my lifestyle rather than suppress my lifestyle. And it, it was weird to me that I put together that, oh, I'm doing bodybuilding to enhance my physique, but I'm taking away so many other things. So when I got the chance to eat these cheat meals, I was like a little kid, but you know, and I use cannabis, so I would smoke, I would go eat, and I would be ravenous. Like, I would eat two to three meals in one sitting. And whether it be two giant burgers or two to three Chipotle burritos or something like that. And I remember that I could not stop. Like, I really couldn't stop. And I would eat so much to the point where I would go to the bathroom and throw up just to go finish my meal because I wanted to eat so much more and I wanted to eat so much more. And looking back now, like I don't restrict my lifestyle or my diet at all. If I want a cookie, I eat a cookie. If I want to, if I'm going to eat a clean meal, I'm going to eat what my body wants and what's going to make me feel good. I'm going to look at something and I want to associate a positive emotion to it because I, I, looked at diets for so long and I was just miserable. I wasn't happy to do them. I did them for a result rather than a feeling, rather than the process, rather than just living life because I was tired of living my life in scarcity. I'm tired of living my life in scarcity now. I want to live a life of abundance. I want to bring positive energy into my life. I want to be positive emotion into my life. So why wouldn't I want a more positive relationship with the food I eat, knowing that that is what's going to fuel me to bring these positive things into my life. And it's when I changed the perspective on that and I flipped the script and I, I even tell my clients like, why are you on a diet? Are you enjoying yourself on that diet? No, then here's the thing. You're not going to see results because you have a negative emotion attached to it and you will store your negative emotions in the physical. And that's what I did for so many years. And just looking at things from a state of abundance versus a state of scarcity and really just being able to enjoy the process, enjoy the food, and listen to my body, what feels good, I'm going to do it. Does that mean if I have cheeseburger cravings every single meal, I'm going to eat a cheeseburger? No, definitely not. That's just reckless. But, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat foods that I know are going to make me feel good. I'm going to eat really high fats because I need a high-functioning brain. Mm -hmm. But I'm human. 
And if I'm stressed and I have sugar cravings, chances are my body's saying, eat some sugar, eat some sugar. So how would I resist it if that's what I'm feeling? You know, I, I just kind of relinquish that. That's awesome. I think it's a good segue into starting to close it out. I want to know, like, just keeping that good mental state, keeping that good positive attitude, being happy. What are some things you do on a daily basis just to keep you in the good mindset, keep you in the right mindset? Uh, maybe it's preparing morning routine, preparing for your day or whatever it may be, um, just around that mentality mindset side things. 100%. So I try to be as daily as I can, as routine as I can, but life happens sometimes. Sometimes if I can't do something in the morning, I'll push it till later. But I always ensure that I have certain rituals and mine are more daily and weekly. So in the daily rituals, I, I ensure that I do a few things. One, I do my meditation and I do my breath work. And as I do my meditation, I'm focusing on breathing and acceptance and, ex and exhaling control. I'm breathing in love and I'm exhaling fear. I'm calling in my spiritual team to know that I'm not alone. I am really focusing on my vision and I'm really going into my body and I'm feeling what that vision feels like because that is what's going to cultivate the actionable steps to produce the result that I want, the future that I want, the vision that I want. And that's my meditation. And I have, you know, the breath work and I have different types of breath work. Sometimes I'll do alternate nostril breathing. Sometimes I'll do holotropic breathing. Sometimes I'll do Wim Hof breathing. And sometimes I'll do medium breathing, which is the breathing that I do with gateway healing, which is the energy and healing, uh, the energy and spiritual healing practice that I have told you about that combines breath work with spiritual connection. And that's the meditation side. So I also make sure at least once a day, I'm bringing in something good for my brain, whether it be listening to a podcast, whether it be reading a little bit of a book, whether it be watching an instructional video on how to do something better in my business, whether it be talking to somebody who's smarter than me to learn something, to be more open to receiving is really what I found. It brings me fulfillment is, is being able to surrender that control of being the best and, and being having to be seen and all these things that I've always taken control of. And, and I'd rather allow someone else to be seen. I'd, I'd rather hear someone else speak because now I'm learning, I'm in taking information. Um, and I, I do breath work at least once a week, whether that be um, an art of breath class, whether it be a shamanic breathing class, whether it be anything that falls into those categories, whether it be Wim Hof Nice Bath. And one of my more recent rituals has been the sensory deprivation chamber and being able to just go to the float tank and really just be with myself in silence to really just reprogram my body, reprogram my mind to make sure that my sleep is adequate. And then again, there's another practice here where on a weekly basis, like I don't beat myself up about not working out every day. Like I really listen to my body. If I don't feel like working out that day and if I know I'm under a lot of stress, I don't work out. I give my body the rest it needs. I'll go walk outside. I'll go do something like that. But I will always be in tune with my body every single day. 
and being with the elements every single day is what really helps me getting out in the sun, getting with the water, getting with the air, grounding with the earth and being with those elements allows me to stay grounded and connected to nature. Very cool. I love it. What are some, maybe one or two books that have been super game changing to your life? One, definitely the mastery of love by Don Miguel Ruiz. That book single-handedly reshaped my entire way of thinking and approaching relationships. And not only relationships with others, but the relationship with myself. And I would say the second book would be The Go-Giver, just because it really did show me how much giving could do, giving value, 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 and how much you received in return. And, And that's how I've structured how I deliver content to my audiences. That's how I have structured how I deliver my services to my clients. That's how I've really just started doing everything in my life is giving, 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 and more recently also giving to myself. Awesome. I love it. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for your time today. I will definitely be getting you on here again in the future to really dive more into professionally what you do because you do some amazing things with people and I would love to share that with people as well. So um, thank you so much and uh, we'll talk again soon. Awesome, Brie. Thank you so much for having me. And that concludes this week's episode of Highly Functional. If you enjoyed it and found the information helpful, I invite you to head over to Facebook and join my group, Obstacle Course Racing Athlete Health and Performance, where you can both join your OCR tribe as well as find very helpful, useful information on how to become a more dominant racer, a more resilient racer, and truly race at your peak performance. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.